In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. I saw a headline this week that caught my attention. Six words that undermine discipleship. Six words that undermine discipleship. That is what you call clickbait for church nerds. So... You know, discipleship actually is a, um, uh, it, it's, it's sort of a scary word for some. It sounds very serious. But, you know, brass tacks, it, discipleship is kind of my job, right? I mean, it's, um, I, I want for people to follow Jesus. I want to help people follow Jesus, to follow His teaching, to follow His example, to know Christ, to trust His cross and to His resurrection. That's all, that's discipleship. And I don't want that to be undermined, so, I mean, I clicked, right? Um, and it was, actually, it was actually a pretty good article. You want to know what the six words were? Or, or you're like, no, move on. I don't want to know. Um, here's the six words. This is just who I am. This is just who I am. The article is actually talking about the popularity of personality tests like uh, Myers-Briggs or uh, Enneagram, things like that. that and, and the author wondered if these helpful tools uh, could sometimes let Christians feel like they have an excuse to disobey the clear teaching of Scripture. Uh, for instance, do I have to love my neighbor or be hospitable if I am an introvert according to this test? Or can I even love my neighbor? Or be hospitable if this test says I'm an introvert. If the test says that I'm a people pleaser, well, am I able to learn to rest with Jesus as the source of my worth? Should I even try if that's just who I am? I thought the article was brave and clarifying. Uh, Our culture often insists that we're fine just the way we are. If you're interested, shoot me an email. I'll send you a link. But what, what, the, um, what the article clarified for me was that the fact that Christian discipleship expects, st- desires, and strives for change in who we are. Christian discipleship expects, desires, and strives for change in who we are. Yes, God loves you just the way you are. But as the old saying goes, he loves you too much to leave you there, right? One of the reasons I found this article intriguing was that it was timely. Um, We are, for the four weeks, four Sundays in February, we're going to take a look at Christian discipleship. And what does it mean to grow in Christ? What does it mean to be Christ-like or to desire that? What is the target that we are aiming for at Church of Our Savior? What are we doing this for in your lives, in my life? So in four weeks, we won't be able to cover discipleship exhaustively, but there are four characteristics of a Christian that we want to highlight. Number one, eager to worship. Eager to worship. Next week, invested in others. Number three, confident in Scripture. Number four, gracious and generous in spirit. So eager to worship, invested in others, confident in Scripture, gracious and generous in spirit. So this week we're 
going to see how a Christian disciple is eager to worship. Eager to worship. Fundamentally, the word worship comes from uh, an old English word meaning worth-ship. Worth-ship. To worship is to ascribe worth, to declare the value of someone or something, or to tell that someone or something how great they are. Uh, like when you go down to Gainesville over to, or over to Tallahassee, and you have paid good money to be there, and you're, you're dressed in your team's colors, maybe you're painted in your team's colors, and your team runs out onto the field or onto the court, and you go bananas, and everybody erupts with excitement and scream, we're number one, even if you're not number one. Like, that's worship. That's worship. Tonight, millions of people will be watching the Super Bowl for the commercials, but there will be some <laughs> who are watching the game, and there will be some amazing play, and the fans will jump to their feet, pump their arms, cheer for joy at what they have seen. After the game, if, if the quarterback you know, through the long bomb to win the game or the coach, whatever, they'll hoist them up on their shoulders. And all of that is worship. It's joyful. It's exuberant. It's spontaneous in the presence of obvious greatness. It's worship. And no one's under, under there holding up the quarterback going, well, this is just my job. You know, like, you know, I'm just doing this to get points with the big guy. You know, like that's, that's not what they're there for. They're celebrating as an act of freedom. They are so excited that they get to lift up the quarterback. They're glad to do it. It feels totally natural in that moment to proclaim the greatness of the one that they are lifting up. And that is because worship is built into us. It's part of what we are made for. We are made to ascribe worth. We are made to proclaim greatness. That's why every culture that there has ever been has found a way to worship something because we're made for it. Now with football, actually with any human endeavor, think of the Grammys, think of the Salesman of the Year Award at your uh, place of business or your uh, beauty contest, whatever it is. With human endeavors... So what have you done for me lately? Like the whole, the whole thing could change next year completely. But with God, His greatness never fades. His worth, His value, His right to the throne as the King above all kings. Worship is built into us because He built it into us. We're made to be in His presence, to lift up God, to ascribe to Him His worth. In our passage from Revelation, which Martha read so beautifully, this is one of the great passages in all of Scripture that describes worship. The passage begins with the Apostle John saying, I looked and behold, a door open to heaven. A door open to heaven. i got to tell you that many times I have read this passage early on a Sunday morning before our worship services. Because isn't that the goal? A door from heaven open to us. That, that we would get a taste of 
the real thing right here because we're made to be in His presence, right? We're, and this is the hope. This is the prayer. In fact, God says it will be so, right? Matthew 18 is actually going to be our gospel passage next week. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of you. If it's, if it's true with two or three, isn't it going to be true with 150 or 200 people here this morning? Behold a door open in heaven. There is access for us to the King of Kings. And what did John see behind that door? Well, he saw this amazing, beautiful scene. John begins his description at the center of of it all. And surely in this thrilling scene, it was what was found at the center that what John saw to be the most magnificent, the most jaw-dropping of all. So he starts there with a throne. And on the throne, one seated. Of course, that's God the Father. And he has the appearance of precious gemstones. John tells us jasper and carnelian. Do a lot with gemstones. I had to look this up. And I'm told that jasper is clear, uh, like diamond, and it represents God's purity. And carnelian is red, bright red, like rubies. And it represents God's the redemption that God has won for us and the grace that He has given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Purity and grace. And I think this is more a description of God's essence than it is of His physical appearance. What John sees blazing forth from the royal throne at the center of heaven is purity and sacrificial grace signified through the gemstones of infinite value and worth. Worth. Worship. Worthship. And I think for us, though, sometimes it's hard for us to think of God like this or to experience God like this. I mean, we think God, of God as being distant, maybe a long way off from our problems. Why, or why didn't He come in and fix our problems? I mean, when I'm um, running late for a meeting and I'm stressed out or things are crazy at home or somebody cuts me off in traffic, you know, I don't find that what comes to mind is, this, is blazing uh, purity and grace. <laughs> I wish it did. And in fact, it's always there regardless of what happens, right? It's, and there's always access. The problem isn't that he's not there. The problem is I'm not looking at the door. All right? Now around this throne, we see 24 other thrones. 24 other thrones. And on the thr- these 24 thrones, we see 24 elders in white garments and golden crowns. Now these would symbolize the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament and the 12 disciples of the New Testament. Now I got to tell you this is really comforting because I've read about these guys and they did not exactly earn their white robes and their golden crowns. We are, go back and, and read the stories yourself. There are many, many stories of moral failure, failure of faith. I mean the patriarchs sold their brother Joseph into slavery and made it look like he had been ripped up by a wild animal and lied to their father for years. The twelve disciples left Jesus in his darkest hour. And yet, the God of purity and grace has gathered them around himself and he has gifted them, graced them with white robes and golden crowns. And Maybe it's because 
uh, of this grace. But I just I find it remarkable that there is no competition for the central throne. I mean, it may be fairly obvious, but each elder seems not just content, but joyful that they are where they are and God is where He is. You think about the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden. It was a departure from this contentment. Adam and Eve's problem wasn't the fruit, right? It was the wanting to be in God's place. Wanting to reign over themselves. Over their own lives. And it's essentially the essence of all human sin. The desire to unseat God and, or to deny God His authority over us. We do this with other human relationships too. We see someone as not as a person, but as a stepping stone to get where we want to get. We do it with money and power, stuff, whatever we have is just not quite enough. We need a little bit more. But in this heavenly scene, the elders have no ambition to unseat God from His throne. It is their delight that God is there, and it is their delight that God is central to everything else there. You know, where I see this in this passage is that they, they seem to get up from their thrones and fall down in worship. And, and the Scripture says they're casting their crowns. Love that image. They're casting their crowns before the throne of God. Now, their crown would symbolize their own position, even if it's a gift of grace, their own position of prestige, their accomplishment, their authority, whatever. And they're taking their worth and they're offering it to God and crying out, Worthy are you, O Lord our God. Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. And let me ask you, if you were to cast your own crown before the throne of grace, what would you be offering to Him? What would you be offering if you were to cast your crown before God? Well, then we see John sees the angels show up. Myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, warriors of light as far as the eye can see. No eye has beheld such glory. Maybe the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth, but gathering freely to sing of God's glory. Here come the angels, and then, then John sees every creature in heaven. And on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea. I, mean, can you, we, I don't think we can get our brains around that image. And they're all crying out in unison, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. What a scene! What a vision! That must have been, I mean, it kind of makes your favorite football stadium look pretty small. And yet, in that vast, innumerable multitude, every eye is fixed, just as John's eye is fixed on the center, on the throne, to the God who is worthy of praise. Because true worship gets the order right. True worship gets the order right. It's not for us just worshiping about vestments and good liturgy and hymns and communion in our tradition or in some other tradition, maybe uh, fog lights and electric guitars. 
Worship is about saying, singing, praying from our hearts with joy and conviction that we delight that you are God most high and we are not. We cast our crowns before you, Lord. We offer to you all that we are, for you alone are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. Because whatever it looks like on the outside, true worship gets it right on the inside. And it's not duty, is it? It's delight. It's delight. There's an eagerness to be in the presence of God, an expectation, a joy in telling God how wonderful He is, singing songs, bringing tithes, receiving the sacrament. Worship is the priority of the Christian disciple because it is the delight of the Christian disciple. Worship is our delight. Now i got to tell you, we work hard to give you a good sermon, to give you good liturgy. I know the make choir is amazing. Their music is fabulous. But you're not coming here to be entertained. You're not coming here because it's lovely. I mean, that, it is. It's a great bonus, isn't it? But you are coming here to be in the presence of God Almighty with eager expectation that in word and sacrament, in prayer and in fellowship, we will meet Him here. That's why I want you to be here every week. Every week. Not so our numbers go up and the bishop claps his hands for us, but so that you get to avail yourself, we get to avail ourselves of the presence of God for which we were made. Because being a Christian is not about morality. Being a Christian is about delighting in Christ. So if Christian discipleship involves change, perhaps we begin by rooting out the things that get in the way of our worship. That get in the way of our getting the order right in our hearts. So I don't want you to leave this morning hearing, you should be eager to worship. With a finger wag. I want you to hear the invitation to be eager to worship. Come and experience the presence of God. Hear the invitation to cast our crowns before the throne of God and expect to meet Him here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are worthy of praise and honor and glory and power and blessing. You are worthy. You are worth. You are valuable beyond description. We cast our crowns as best we know how before you, Lord, offering to you all that we are. We expect that there is a door open to us that we have free access because of your grace, your death and resurrection. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Amen. Amen.